the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 23. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Well, hey there, Sandra. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. So good. I'm home. I traveled a bit this weekend, so I am home and there is no place like home right true it's good (laughs) to get away from home and then it's really good to come back home yeah I was um my husband had asked me a few months ago um would I want to travel to Boulder Colorado to see some um, clients who have since turned friends that are really like family they're they just we love them they love us and it's a very good relationship and he's like do you want to go on your birthday is that all right and I was like, well, absolutely. And it was all within text. And he's like, I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> we were flying out on Friday on my birthday. And I was like, <gasps> what part of this wouldn't I want to do? I'm like, yeah, no, that sounds, I mean, traveling on my birthday, not so great. I have a lot of anxiety about going to San Francisco in general. But I have made so many big strides with travel um, this year that it felt doable and fine and um and you know going to san francisco airport on a friday afternoon not usually a good situation but we Mm. left we left early enough he didn't want to leave as early as i did but he but he he acquiesced because i said i get really anxious i just don't want to be late Mm -hmm. i don't want to have that feeling of dread right so he was like all right and we went and good thing that we did because we had like 25 minutes until our plane was boarding so we we just kind of barely got there but it was perfect we had plenty of time to get there and so that helped so yeah I uh I tackled that and then enjoyed boulder like as much as boulder have you so have you been Yes, I've been to Boulder a couple of times. My um, ex-husband has family that lives in Boulder. And so we went quite a lot um, in my 20s, 20s, I guess, early 30s. Um, And I love Boulder. Boulder is one of those cities that I thought, if I didn't live in Austin, I, I could live in Boulder. Yeah, it was, it's really beautiful. It's, I mean, Mm -hmm. so I used to live there, uh, not Boulder, but I lived in Colorado and it didn't occur to me until I was really like on the plane heading to Boulder that I was like, oh, I left Colorado and my first husband in September, exactly 20 years ago. Oh, wow. My birthday weekend. So that all of a sudden got in my head and I was like, okay, calm down, simmer down, crazy. <laughs> Don't get too nutty. But I couldn't help the flood of memories that were starting to come right. up for me. Uh-huh. And I didn't live in Boulder, but my sister-in-law did. She went to college there and she was so what, 18 and I was 23 when I got married. So, um, it came back to me that I spent my first wedding anniversary in Boulder with my sister-in-law. Oh, not my husband. 
ding, 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 like that should have been a clue. Right. So that just started reminding me, um, that was like one of my first, um, blackouts, I think of my marriage, like, because I didn't really drink when I got married because, um, I just didn't. And I was in my Mormon phase. So when I went to Boulder for my first wedding anniversary, I drank to blackout. Mm-hmm. And so when I woke up on uh, Sunday morning, my mind was just going crazy. And I was like, okay, let's go find an, a meeting. Let's go to a 12 step meeting. Let's get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I did that. And of course that helps kind of calm things down. But, um, the rest of the weekend was just, um, you know, I would jot down things that I would remember, but then the rest of it was like, I get to do this differently now. Yeah. See, I would love to go back to Boulder because right now at this moment, I could tell you where all the good drinks I've had in Mm -hmm. Boulder are located. Did you Um, ever go to the sink? It's like a club. No, I don't think so. That's, that was one of mine, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I could tell you where all the good cocktails are in Boulder, but you know, um, <laughs> went to about. I think, I think I experienced a bookstore. I mean, there were other things, you know. <laughs> there was beautiful drive up into um, Nederland. Is yeah. that the little town up in the mountains? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So beautiful drive up there. Um, I think there was a breakfast place there that had delicious blueberry pancakes. Like I, I, you know, so little, little pockets of uh, memories that are not, you know, booze related, but most of them are. So so I want to go back. I learned about the Nederland dead guy festival. Do you know about this? No. So we took this tour in this funky uh, bus, which I never would have done, but our hostess is just we would do anything for her. She makes everything fun. So she wanted to do this uh, bus tour of Boulder so that we could see it without having to like walk everywhere. And, you know, we wouldn't. So it's it like all. the touristy thing. Totally yeah. touristy in this fun. Which is bus. fun to do sometimes. It was. It was. But they were telling us about, the, I think it's called Frozen Dead Guy Days. And it's <laughs> in Nederland. And there's like the whole history, you know, of, of how this happened. But somebody wanted to get cryogenically frozen and then they. He lived in Nederland and he had, there's a whole history, but it looks like everybody dresses up. I'm looking at their websites, like all these men are in dresses and crazy hats. And it just looks, uh, I think just like a crazy little thing, but it's, they have like, um, what is it? Uh, coffin races. They have, oh. <laughs> there's like this whole weird thing. And, I, and my husband's like, we're coming back for that. We're coming That's back. So um, yeah. Yeah. So he got packed in dry ice is what it is. Oh my gosh. And he, um, they have like a a tough shed in the backyard at Nederland at this property where they were keeping him. And so I think tough shed sponsors the event. Oh my gosh. Um, So it just sounds really crazy, but so we learned about all these kind of fun things while we were there, but basically my hostess who is a really, who is a rug designer, um, she's been many, many things from San Francisco Bay area has sat on like the board of the De Young museum, just really big design junkie, art junkie, um, her husband as well. And so they've never left the Bay area before. And so they've just moved to Boulder and, um, oh, cool. so they had us there. They just redesigned their house and, and they really plotted out, um, some fun for us. But the thing is my husband, he had done all this research on Boulder before they moved there. And he bought them all these really wonderful gift certificates to all these really special. She likes the, she finds the best of things and she, 
finds unique things. And so my husband kind of almost had like one up her a little bit. He was trying to like do some research so that when they got there, you know, he bought them a membership to the Boulder um, Contemporary Art Museum because mm-hmm. um, he knew she would love it. Anyhow, they ended up taking us to all the places that my husband had gifted them. Oh, nice. We were there. They took us. And so <laughs> he had done all this pre-research, which was great. Went to this beautiful tea house and um, went to the museum, um, went to this beautiful Japanese um, restaurant and had this beautiful sushi dinner, which I wore my beautiful kimono. Got so many compliments just walking <gasps> down Pearl Street. I should have had your <sighs> cards on me, Sandra. That's what I should have had. And it was just... All we did was really eat and plan from one thing. You know, we'd stop by a bookstore, but basically it was just food and drink and, um, yeah. And I'm in an, and I'm going to need to rest now and not, and not eat for a couple of days. Cause I'm, full. <laughs> I'm so full, but so it was really lovely. And there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of athletes there. A lot of, oh yeah. Endurance yeah. And, yeah. I know it makes you feel like, uh, you're not outdoors enough, right? (laughs) When you go to Colorado. Well, I I don't dress up too much, but you know, I did bring that beautiful kimono and my friend Hansina said, she said, Oh, I forgot to tell you the dress code here. And, and, and she wears all black. She's very, that's her uniform is all black. Um, and some white, uh-huh. sometimes she wears black or white, but that's it. That's all I've ever seen her in is black or white. Yeah. And um, she's like, oh, the, the, the dress code here is spandex. So <laughs> you're right. you brought any, I said, I did not bring any spandex. <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, so everywhere you go, you're, you're beautifully dressed. You're fine. If you're wearing jeans, you're probably overdressed, you know, like it's, yeah. it's just really casual. And I, I'd forgotten yeah. that part. Yeah. Um, but it, so when, um, we were on this bus tour. They were talking about, oh, this ultra athlete lives here and this ultra athlete lives here. And if you don't know what an ultra athlete is, and I was like, I know what an ultra athlete is. <laughs> I happen to stalk one on the internet now. Um, and so I knew Rich Roll wouldn't be there because he was he's training or he's doing his race in Iceland, I believe. Uh-huh. But, um, I have not been following him on the Instagram stories like I was, Sandra. I had to take a little time out from... Did you? It felt weird. I was feeling a little weird. Yeah, <laughs> a little stocky. A little stocky. You kind of had to, yeah, observe your own behavior around <laughs> Ritual's Instagram stories. Just, he's just such a nice... He seems like such a nice guy. Oh, yeah. Such a nice physique. It's just really, yeah. So everyone knows that my husband edits the show and does the sound and probably um, thinks I'm a weirdo, but... (laughs) Well, okay. So let's just say, here's the deal. (laughs) Ritual is definitely easy on the eyes, for sure. But you know what's really what I love about him most is his lust for life and oh, you know and that that is what I love um so anyway yeah, he seems genuine in the work that he does I like how he is trying to like interview the best of these people and what their missions are and uh, there's always kind of this humanitarian component to it as well I feel for what he's looking for and somebody that he's interviewing and trying to get to the real story I love that he's in recovery um so yeah, it's just not all him swimming in his speedos at the pool in Malibu. <laughs> not all, love not to, all that. I mean, I don't know where that pool is, Skip but if right somebody knows that. where that pool is, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> okay, we're getting off track here. So let's. <laughs> I'm all worked up now. Okay. Um, who are we talking to we today? <laughs> we are talking to our beautiful British friend, Liv Pinelli. Liv yeah. Pinelli or Olivia Pinelli, if yes. you um, 
follow her on the internets. Um, you may know her as that, Liv or Olivia, but she likes to go by Liv. Yeah. And I came, we came to know her through just an online recovery group, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's where I first met her. And then I was, um, yeah, and then I was really intrigued by her website. She has a beautiful website. We talk about yeah. uh, on the in our interview. Um, and so just so, which is called Lives Recovery Kitchen. Correct. Yes. And we just wanted to let people know she is just a phenomenal writer, a prolific writer, mm-hmm. um, a health coach now and a wellness advocate. And she's in long-term recovery. And she, like you say, Sandra, she makes it look real good. Sobriety. Yeah. Recovery. She, she is walking the walk for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Her site lives recovery kitchen is a, an amazing resource for anyone on a, a journey towards health and wellness in recovery. So that is, um, her niche and it's, it's just an important niche. It's, um, we talk all about that in the interview. Um, but you will find her writing, uh, she's, she's been writing like a mad woman since she's come to the U S. Oh, we didn't mention, I don't think that she's British. Um, (laughs) but, uh, she lives in Portland, Oregon now. And, um, her writing has been published on websites such as recovery.org, the fix recovery today, intervene magazine, work at health, uh, and many more addiction and scripted transformation is real. That stand site. Um, many, many, many more prolific writer. Yeah. She, her, um, kind of like her passion, uh, is that she kind of believes in a fluid and a very holistic approach to sobriety. So I had, a, I really enjoyed the conversation we did. Touch, I did too. We touched a little bit on eating disorders and I, she helped me, she helped me figure out how to have that conversation as well, which I think both of you did actually, um, when we were, when we touched on that part, because, um, that's what she's recovering from as well. And for her to be a health coach, I think, I think she's going to help a lot of people. Oh, for sure. I think that I'm excited for her. I think that she has a lot to offer. I don't think there's anything that she can't do. I mean, as she was kind of cataloging what she has done so far in just five and a half years, can you just imagine, like, she's going to take over the world soon. I know. (laughs) And you should follow her on Instagram, too, to see her amazing um, dishes that she puts together. She's yeah. a great, she's a great chef. I mean, I haven't tasted her food, but it looks really good. Yeah. She, um, she just shared, um, at the, after we recorded this, uh, something popped up on Instagram that I looked at and she was sharing because it's in honor of recovery month this month. Um, she was sharing her story of transformation from, um, eating disorders to a health and wellness coach. So sharing that journey with you, sharing photos and images and her words and she tell, kind of shares why she does what she does. And that's what I really like about her. She, talk, she, she was writing all of this stuff, but she's like walking the walk. She is, she is absolutely not just talking about it. She is living it. And a really beautiful example of, of recovery. And I felt honored to talk to her today. And I think our listeners are going to like it and love her beautiful, beautiful voice. Yes, you will love her voice. <laughs> so thanks for tuning in, you guys. Hope you enjoy it. Yes, enjoy. Thanks. Thank you.
Hey, Liv. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Liv. Thank you for having me. We get to have your beautiful voice on the pod. I'm very, I was very <laughs> jealous when you were on Sense right now. I was like, oh, I can't wait until she can come on our. <laughs> I know. I think it was Lara that said to me I should be the, the new Siri because my voice is uh, <laughs> it's the People say it's very calming. It is. You do have a very calming voice. You do. Isn't it fun to hear other accents, though? I think it's so fun. Everyone always tells me I have an accent. And I don't necessarily hear it, but then um, I love hearing accents. Yeah, me too. Yeah, we're gonna have three very distinct. I don't. I see. I don't feel like I have any type of an accent. So yeah, I guess that that's when it's your voice. You don't. But I'll probably yeah. say like a lot and sound like a valley girl a little bit. So maybe, valley girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's, that's what's funny. gonna happen today. <laughs> as I'm telling my son not to say like all the time, as I'm saying like all the time. <laughs> oh poor kid I know it's tough being my kid sometimes I know I know Mm -hmm. I bet you're a great mom I bet you're a great Mm -hmm. mom mom I'm a better mom now that I don't drink anymore I have to say that I am I I will take that yes I am a much better mom but so um, we wanted to just uh, thank you, first of all, for coming on the show. And I know that I know a bit of your story and I've been on your blog and you've been on my blog and I love all the work that you're doing. But I wanted to know if you could just share just for our listeners, maybe a little bit about, you know, what made you decide to stop drinking? And then we're going to kind of push off from there and go to all kind of these different areas of, of the life you've created. But could you share maybe your sobriety date or if you identify with a sobriety date? Sure. And what, yeah, what? I do. Um First off, thanks for having me. I um, I absolutely love the two of you. I love what you do. I love that you're talking about creativity, and and you know it's it's just it's amazing. Um, so my sobriety day is the twenty sixth of March two thousand and twelve. Um, so I'm about five and a half years in. Um, what made me decide to get sober? Well, I. I left my job and I think at that point in my life I had removed everything from my life that got in between me and drinking and popping pills and strangely when I left the job I had this like monumental binge and I I think in a weekend I drank like 14 bottles of wine and had a Mm. packet of codeine and I was even drinking corks wine at that time um so I I kind of you were drinking what I'm sorry corks wine so wine that's off um, oh, oh, corked, right, right, yeah, right, corked. like yeah. just, just nasty, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, no, I've never had, I've never drank corked wine. I'm just oh, kidding. I'm like... being sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I... <laughs> no, I, well, I owned a wine bar, so I was very snobbish when it was corked. I was like, oh no, we're getting another bottle from the shop. So I acted like I had some kind of, you know, um, <laughs> but I didn't. Oh. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I just, I woke up from that binge and I, I just knew that that was it. I, my depression had become so bad at that point that I either was going to do something quite serious to myself or I was going to find recovery. And I, to this day, I don't know why, but I chose recovery and I contacted a close family member who is in the 12 step program and I asked for help and they gave me a meetings list. And I think 
I, I think on the Tuesday, yeah, it was the Tuesday I went to my very first meeting and I haven't had a drink since, um, you know, despite trying everything in the past to not drink. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that that was the point. Um, I think in my, li- my life at that point was so small. It was just work, drink, find, mm-hmm. you know, find ways to get more. Uh, it was in a huge amount of debt. I think it was in like $30,000 worth of debt. Uh, yeah, it was a, a very awful life and complete, like, I don't even recognize that life today. Wow. I, that, your story, even as brief as it is, it makes me t- think of two things. One is the gift of desperation, and you hear that all the time. But yeah. I think there's something to that, right? And um, also, uh, um, Sarah Heppola, a Sarah Heppola quote where she talked about she wasn't necessarily afraid of dying, even though that was a real threat but she was afraid of inertia like just never ever changing and god i so relate to that totally i i it was like it's it's a total in between place isn't it like Mm -hmm. you know at that Mm -hmm. point physically i was very unwell i you know i had um you know an acute form of depression I felt suicidal um physically I I was 150 pounds overweight I was very bloated um I published some pictures yesterday actually showing pictures of me at the very end and my liver had started to scar you know the doctor was insisting on me stopping drinking um and then I had all of the skin issues related to to excessive drinking you know I was constantly in the in the um ER having abscesses drained and stuff like that it was just awful and I smoked 30 cigarettes a day at that point or probably more um so I was on steroids a lot for my chest Mm. yeah (laughs) it's awful isn't it just yeah that maybe it is a gift of desperation I don't yeah I I I actually I think I've written about it a number of times and I you know I, I'm still undecided about where I stand with faith I've talked a lot about that recently in my writing but I I can only describe that as a moment of grace some kind of intervention that it's like the decision was taken out of my hands right I, I like looking at it that way yeah mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. yeah I, I used to hear that phrase and I would think you know, I'm not des. I would resist it because, of course, I didn't want to believe that um, that I was des- yeah. desperate. But with some time under my belt now, and kind of, um, I love that word grace. It it helps me. Yeah. Um, it helps me also with the God concept. I couldn't. I couldn't really um, hear that in the rooms when I was going. Yeah. And I would just yeah. roll. I would close my eyes and then I would roll them in my head. Like I would just be so annoyed. <laughs> And when I finally heard, and I've shared this several times on this pod, but it'll never get old for me that um, the acronym for God um, I heard in the rooms was a grace over drama. And when I heard that, that word grace just really stuck with me. It was so beautiful. And it was, it kind of encapsulated a lot that I didn't know how to say, or I didn't know what I was feeling or what was happening to me. And so I think, yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, no. I just, yeah. just when I, when I, when I could pause and choose grace over drama in any situation, I was yeah. like, well, if that's God, that's all right for me. If that's just yeah. the word, I had to finally just separate things out and stop working against myself and resisting so much. Um, yeah. So, so that word is really powerful, I think, in recovery. 
I think so too. And I think it has a slightly, it, it feels more palatable because it has a slightly more feminine mm-hmm. um, sense to it. I don't know. I think sometimes like, you know, when we mentioned the God word and we, we think about religion and we it kind of has this heavy masculine uh, feeling to it. And mm-hmm. race just feels so much lighter and ethereal, I guess. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the right. That's your next uh, writing piece. (laughs) It is pitch day today. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, guys. You can come again on every Tuesday morning. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so let's talk about because I know that you, through your site and think a lot of the pieces that you write about um you focus on food and nutrition so is disordered eating a part of your story yeah absolutely um my site is about the our journey towards health and wellness and recovery I feel like what was missing for me in my journey was you know my life at that point had just become meetings and recovery and uh, and work and I I was just like there's got to be more to it than this I'm really overweight I am still binge eating my history was that I I I don't know if I if it I mean technically what I suffered was was an eating disorder I I have been through the whole range of starvation to um, binging and purging to binging and recovery. I stopped the purging because apparently that was harmful, but it was still okay to binge. Um, mm, right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I would say that I've had an eating disorder. I'd say that I suffer with addiction though, as an umbrella, and anything that comes under that is any substance that can change the way that I feel. And for me, the trigger substances are food, sex, uh alcohol you know you drugs you name it anything that that can change my reality and and how I relate to that I want to check out and to me that's the basis of addiction right so so the site was about my journey initially it was my blog um I it was initially called lives locomotion oh yeah I didn't know that okay yeah, and I, because to me that meant, um, I kind of like the Kylie-esque theme to it, but it was, a, you know, it was the forward motion of a locomotion. But then I think Chris at the Recovery Revolution said, you know, it kind of reminds me of Trains and Kylie. Um, <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I realized at that point, because people were starting to relate to me, that it needed to be something that I didn't put people off by the title. So right. I think I'd started to talk about food at that point and, you, you know, my recipes. Uh, so, yeah, um, the, the, the site just became me sharing how I was learning to have a physical recovery. Right. And how long after you... Um... How, when did that start for you? When did that, when did you? I your... think I was around two years sober. Okay. I I kind of reached a rock bottom around the food. I was exhausted all of the time. And I, I think I was getting cabs everywhere. And I was too tired to go to meetings. I was just too tired for life. So I, I hired a health coach. And I, I don't know how I managed to do that because I think at that point I was making my financial amends so I was living on 30 pounds a week 
but I managed to negotiate this deal and get a health coach and it was the, the most life-changing thing I've ever done. Um, and she helped me to look at my relationship with food and my body, but she did it by looking at my life and mm. there was no fun in my life. So she, she, her emphasis was making life bigger than food. Mm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And I think that's what's changed everything. And that's why, you know, I've been able to to completely revolutionize my relationship with food in a way that I've never been able to before. And my body, you know, that, that was a big thing. I, I've never felt in my body. I've always sort of lived above my nose. Mm. <laughs> right. Well, so when you um, when you're creating this, and when you're having this health coach and things are morphing and changing, so you're kind of riding it your way through your recovery. Is that is that true that you're kind of yeah, having these epiphanies I, and exactly? And I, and I think I I'd suggested to her at the time when she was coaching me, she was thinking about ways that I could be creative and have more fun. And I and I just thought, well, why don't I write a blog about this? I'd started to discover blogs in the online recovery community, and I thought. Well, nobody talks about food addiction that are pe- with people that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Why is that? So mm. I just started to share my journey more from a cathartic point of view. And then people just started to like it and it grew into something else. And then I realized the power of writing. Mm-hmm. Because I, at that point, I, I didn't realize... In, like with many areas of creativity that I had any kind of talent I I my lack of self-worth was really prevalent at that point and it was and so it was always in you it was and then it was called upon yeah. right like you could you could reach for it and and recovery kind of I think it opens up your eyes right so you're aware of your life in a way that, yes. well, for me, in a way that I never was before, I was always editing stories <laughs> or writing and editing my life. I wasn't telling the yeah. unedited version. But to be able to truly kind of, um, even if people write blogs or, or, or not publish it or whatever, writing in general, right? Like writing your morning pages or doing that in recovery is so helpful for, I think, you to kind of see yourself in a way that is really truthful and honest and... Um, that you can kind of work with. Yeah, you know, absolutely. If it all stays up in our head, right? We wake up and our mind is going. For me, that yeah. I know for sure. Yeah. And that's why I usually try to go to morning meetings or write my gratitude lists in the morning or do um, some kind of centering activity in the morning because otherwise my brain's off and running. Absolutely. I, I am a morning brain too. And I, I recently did a, a series of coaching um with Angela McKinney if you've not heard of her you should check her out she is awesome and she got me to look at my time I I approached her because I wanted to make my business more successful and she got me to look at how I was using my time and I realized oh my god you know my you know you you guys will be able to appreciate this having a creative brain it's difficult to strategize with it's difficult to um organize in a way that is efficient and not sort of flip between you know it's like I've got 50 browsers open at the same time a lot of the time for sure yeah yeah described me yeah right (laughs) a sentence (laughs) exactly so I 
I looked at my, you know, the minute my eyes open, it's like, ping. Oh, I should do this. And what about this? And oh, and I've got this idea. And I get a lot of ideas on my bike as well. Cycling 70 miles a week. My brain is full of ideas. So looking at my time and when I'm most creative, I could then organize my day to make best use of, of how my brain works in a more efficient way. So for example, if I get up first and do that centering activity like you're talking about, that has been really helpful. And I, so I meditate and I journal and then I've got a creative project time and that's when I can channel all of that creativity and then I can go on and do writing and other things. And then as the day goes on and I get less, I get more tired, I can do things that don't require much brain power. That's great. Do you find that too much structure though is sort of, does that feel like it ever stifles your creativity? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't stick to my plan all the time. It's a work in progress, but if I, I, I'm trying to use it as a rough framework of saying, okay, well, you know, so for example, this weekend, I, you know, I worked the last seven days, which is, is not helpful. And I, I knew I needed to write, but I started off doing an admin task that I knew, you know, so I've written 150 articles this year. And I thought, I know this is the perfect opportunity to categorize and catalog them all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> and ended up with a migraine. So <laughs> that, but, it's a work in progress. Do you yeah, feel like you can't to strike a balance? I was going to say, do you feel like you can't stop when those, because for me, it's, I know I have something that I need to do yes. and I'll think of that categorizing like all my photos from 20, 2014. I'm like, well, why don't I start on that right now? It's a form of yeah. procrastination for me. I know. Um, yeah. but it is exhausting. And it's like, that's really not what I want to do either. Actually, I don't yeah. want to categorize all those photos, but that's informing me that maybe the thing that's waiting for me that I have to do there's something about yeah. that that I have to work out. So yeah, it actually serves absolutely. as information, but, um, but I, um, I think I'm your twin. I think we, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's so hard. I mean, what was I thinking to do that? And then, and then of course I beat myself up for doing that. Like, yeah. Hey, why don't we celebrate the fact that you put in 150 articles this year? Yeah. No, instead, let's beat yourself up for not sticking to your timetable. Uh, <laughs> well, we're we're going to celebrate you. That's a really big deal. <laughs> that is a huge deal. Can we jump back to yeah. nutrition yeah. for just a minute? Because I'm sure. curious what you think about this. Do you think that good nutrition is essential for people that are, are recovering from drugs and alcohol? And, I, you know, and I, I realize that question might be sort of simplistic but at the same time I hear so many especially women because we are constantly at battle with our bodies but I I hear uh, so many women asking for advice you know I'm eating you know three bags of gummy bears in mm -hmm. my first two weeks of or my first two months or my first six months or my first year of sobriety and you'll have about 50% of the people telling them, 50% of women saying, it's okay, eat the gummy bears. And then you'll have another 50% of women saying, I don't know, I regret eating the gummy bears. Um, because now I'm, I'm that now I have another battle. What do you think about that? I think, I think, the, the phrase I would use is living well. And I don't mean to be pernickety about that, but I mean, what I mean is I think it's difficult 
for people to start talking about things as good and bad. Mm, So I think living well means to me looking after my body in every way. So that includes, you know, I think for me the difficulty with a 12-step program is, you know, this was founded in a time when, when we didn't know, we didn't have the information we do about food. So living sober, for example, talks about eating sugar as a means to cope with alcohol cravings. So it's, it's understandable that that information sort of gets transported through to the giving people the permission or the, in my case, I was, you know, I was positively encouraged to eat sugar right. and have a, have a bag of sweets or candy with me all the time. So, mm-hmm. so it, it, in answer to your question, I think it's fundamental to a program of recovery or some people don't like to use the word program, but to, to live well in recovery, I think it's really important to look at what we're putting in our body and, you know, food of the mind as well as food of the stomach. Mm-hmm. And just be mindful of of it. Because, I mean, really, if, if you're numbing out on a, on a bag of gummy bears, it's just numbing out on a different substance. Absolutely. And, but I think, I think what's challenging is, you know, and I say this in a lot of my writing, I really wish I had known what I know now about food I bet. And, and the impact on my brain. You know, I, I, so I was binge eating for the first two years of my recovery and I couldn't understand why I was doing it. I felt horrendous. And yet, you know, in, in this, exactly the same way as, as addiction, you know, I felt horrendous, but I would still go and do this thing that made me feel worse, but it gave me that temporary relief. And, you know, I knew that I was doing it, but I, the way that I sort of categorized it in my mind was, well, at least it's not drinking or using. Right. Um, Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but what I've realized over time and having learned about the science of addiction is that what I was coping with was addiction transfer and that the the addictive brain is more powerful than I am. You know, and, and Gabor Mate talks about this. You know, he, he says that people who have suffered with trauma or have lived in a, in a childhood environment where they've not been nurtured, the parts of the brain that are responsible for rational thought don't develop fully. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what happens in the brain is that in a, in a simplistic sense, because I'm not a scientist or a doctor, is that, you know, the, the part of the brain that looks for pleasure can override the rational part of the brain. And that's what was happening to me. So I didn't need to hate on myself so much. If I'd have known that information then, that, hey, you know, your brain is, it has less dopamine receptors in it. You could probably do with some help from your doctor around that but there are other ways that you could naturally enhance feeling good so that you mm-hmm. might not need to act on substances to make you feel better. And because that was the pattern of my addiction, you know, I right. feel that, you know, I, I don't have a view one way or another whether I was born with addiction. I know that perhaps I was genetically predisposed to it because I have a family of addiction, but I, you know, I, I knew that I had mental illness from a very young age you know I suffered with depression and anxiety to quite acute levels where I just you know I was suicidal as a teenager so to me I I very quickly discovered that I could use alcohol and drugs to self-medicate and that's what I was doing in my early sobriety so it's Mm -hmm. a bit of a long-winded answer but I think it's fundamental 
you know, the, there are two schools of thought here. There are, you know, the people that say, oh, God, you know, it's enough being getting sober. Right. Why would you want to add anything more difficult to that? And then, and, and, and I can appreciate that. But then on the other hand, I think if you're still living in addictive behaviors, then you're not really changing. Right. Um, and also, you know, on a, on a less sort of critical basis, these are foods that are going to enhance your recovery and you're going to have more energy. So why wouldn't you do it? Right. Yeah. And I think we just, we just don't, so many of us just don't know how. No, but it, it's, it's so easy once you know how to make changes in a way that is sustainable. So instead of saying, you know, oh my God, I need to radically change my diet and it's going to start tomorrow. And then you get the panic of, oh my God, I've got to eat all the, all the unhealthy foods so I don't have to throw them away. Because oh. we're so all or nothing, right? Well, that's just exactly. that's how we are. We are all or nothing. Yeah. Exactly. I was talking to a friend yesterday about where meeting people where they're at. And that is the importance of you know, a good coach or a good doctor or whatever is, is, you know, if, if, if you say, Hey, I know your goal is to run three, five Ks a week, but you feel really intimidated by that. And it feels too overwhelming. You're not going to do it. And then you're going to beat right. yourself for not doing it. Mm-hmm. But instead say, okay, well, why don't I meet myself where I'm at? What feels more manageable is two K more manageable. And I target myself to do it once. You know, I, I, and I think that's where we need to start. Setting ourselves up for success versus Precisely. failure right out of the gate. I keep thinking about what your health coach said. I love that she said you need to you need to just have fun with this. You need to add a little yeah. more joy into your life. Um, Absolutely. She's br- she was brilliant. That is wow. brilliant because while it is a very serious thing, you felt like you were dying and you were 150 pounds overweight. Yeah. I love that she um, just gave you permission to be light with it yeah yeah and it felt like much so much less of a burden and you know it took the emphasis off me having to deal with me you know like it it took the the gravity of hey you know you're I, I don't know why it's over 300 pounds at that point like you're gonna die if you don't start to deal with this and hey right why don't you just start having fun in life and then food becomes less big. Yeah, and I, just, I love that. Because well, I think at that point in my life, I I had put all these restrictions around my life. Like, I can't do that because of my weight. Or, you know, like, I can't go on a date because I'm too fat. I can't go to yoga because I won't be able to do it. So, you know, it was that whole I'll be happy when bullshit. <laughs> right. Just, mm-hmm. She was just like, why don't you just do it? And mm-hmm. I slowly but surely started to do these things, like going to a yoga class and saying, oh, my God, all of those barriers were my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just start getting curious with with those things, that curious about those things that you hold on to, those old stories. Like, really, I can't do that? Why not? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a question I want to ask about you. Yeah all of this. I want to thank you for sharing that. And so I, I haven't had a, a, an eating disorder. Um, and so sometimes I feel like I can't be part of a conversation or I feel like I don't know what to say, or I feel like, mm-hmm. um, I can't ask the question, but I've recently befriended someone who has, um, 
um, an eating disorder. And when they were communicating with me, they said something that really made me think, and that's why I wanted to ask you if it would be okay. Mm -hmm. She said, and if it's not, you can tell me that too. But she, she just said, I understand that you're in recovery from alcohol, but can you imagine since she binges and she and like, can you imagine that someone tells you, but you still have to have a little bit of alcohol every day to survive. She said with food, you still have to eat. And for her, that's a really big challenge. And so when she said that to me that way, I didn't know how to respond. And I told her, so I just said, I'm really sorry. I I actually don't even kind of know what to say. I mean, you're right. I, I can, I am all or nothing. So we have no alcohol, you know, you can remove that from your life, but I know that alcohol also isn't the problem. It's like, um, it's the answer to the problem. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just curious, like, how did you reconcile that when you were binging? Did you, cause you still have to eat food. Yeah, absolutely. I, I knew that there were certain foods to me that, um, were triggering. Okay. So I knew that if I ate white refined carbohydrates and I would struggle to stop eating them because they have been manufactured in a way that will activate those pleasure centers in your brain I mean this is what we don't realize about food is that actually the food industry has has to many extent caused addiction mm-hmm. um, to certain foods so I knew that that and, and I guess this is a similar thing. Like at that time I was in a 12 step program and you know, the whole philosophy of you can use a 12 steps for anything. And I thought, but I can't for this because I can't abstain. Right. I, right. But I can abstain from those foods, but I still have to eat. So this requires a more sort of holistic perspective. So mm-hmm. I, I just tried to eat foods that weren't, you know, if I wanted to eat bread, for example, I would eat whole wheat bread that doesn't have sugar in it. So it didn't cause the same reaction. So slowly but surely, I started to feel more empowered because I could still eat the foods that my body was saying it wanted, but it didn't have that same reaction, so I wasn't eating the whole loaf of bread. Mm. Um, And, you know, I I think with your point about the not feeling that you can talk about it because you don't have that experience, I feel that you can because... because to me, addiction is addiction. You know, I agree. Substance doesn't matter. Right. It all feels the same. I heard it. I heard someone say that it's the it's the one though the one addiction where you do have to walk the tiger every day. You yeah. know, if you you know if 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 food if food is your if food is your main addiction, I guess. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I talked to um, Noah Levine, you know, the founder of um, yeah. Refuge Recovery. I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this a similar subject. And uh, but he was using the metaphor of the brain, you know, in the same way that you can't abstain from food, you can't abstain from your thoughts. Right. Mm. Okay. So what he was talking about with breaking addiction and I I hope I paraphrase this right, is that it's about changing our relationship to our thoughts. And, and and I think it's the same with food, right? You know, it's, while we can't abstain from them, I can change my relationship to food and to my body. And I think focusing on having a more fulfilling life, focusing on loving my body more in turn will mean that I make healthier choices. So it's just about, 
having a different approach to food. So I think, you know, if you just said to me, if the coach then had said to me, well, what you need to do is you need to go on this really rigid diet and you need to have, you know, no carbohydrates whatsoever. So like, for example, if I went on a, I don't know if you've heard of gray sheets. So gray sheet is OA's uh, Overeaters Anonymous um, diet plan from years ago. And they no longer do that in Overeaters Anonymous and they formed a, a, a branch of it called gray sheet anonymous. And they have this rigid diet plan where you have to measure certain quantities of food, weigh and measure it for every meal. And, and check with your sponsor, right? Yes. And, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And you, you have to um, exclude any grains, starches, or pulses. So there is, like, no carbohydrate. And they would claim that, you, and that, that is true, that there is carbohydrate in fruit, which you're allowed in your breakfast meal. But it's a very rigid diet. If you just said that to me, it just wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost like, feels like a band-aid that uh, it, it come does, off any I, I feel like, you know, I mean, I, I have a friend that, that goes and it works for her and I'm fully respectful of that. But mm-hmm. for me, sure. it would become an obsession in itself. Right. And yeah. I kind of move away from obsessive, black and white, rigid, restrictive, anything, because that's not what my recovery about is about. My recovery is about freedom. Right. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Well, the black and white, the all or nothing. So, so sometimes that serves me in some way, but you're right with recovery. It's been more that I get to make it my own, you know? So the fact that we can give ourselves permission, like what you're saying, I think it's just that, um, I like that. I, I like my 12 step meetings, but I also like, um, that we're doing this podcast and I feel like that helps me and that I do my interviews because I get to learn how everybody else recovers and that helps me. I like, I think it's all for me. Um, I want control, which I know I don't have all of the control. However, I do get to, maybe that's the wrong word, you know, but I get to craft my life now. I get to kind of create how I want to recover. And that feels really empowering. You know, I think that's like the secret little, um, a lot of people I know don't want to go in the rooms or they don't want to go to refuge recovery or they don't want to go, um, to a treatment center or, you know, there's so many things that people don't want to do, but I find that when I shift my perspective of, of, of recovery and can be a little more, more open, not just in the rooms, but open in my life, yeah. I feel like I just keep recovering every day. It gets stronger. I feel, I feel sturdier by being open. Yeah. I totally relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. Can we switch gears for a minute? Um, oh. I, I just wanted, because I know you, you, you mentioned that you've written, what, 100 and, what did you, how many articles have you written this year already? 150. Is that- 150 articles. That's amazing. Yeah. And so you are just rocking a career now as a writer, I I take it. I mean, I know that we'll get to, I know that you're, you've started a wellness coaching program and we'll get to that in a minute, but, um, that's amazing. But I imagine that writing is so very writing full time. Like you are is so isolating. So, um, how do you reconcile the isolation of, you know, making a career as a writer with, you know, our needs, for in real life connection it's really challenging um uh, when i when i moved to america <laughs> i so i moved to america in december 
and decided to start a business at the full time uh, at the same time. So like nine um, months, you, ten months you've been here. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you don't waste time. Um, let me just say that. <laughs> no, and do you know what? You know, every day I tell myself I'm not doing enough. And oh gosh, you know, like my business isn't where I want it to be yet. You know, I'm not making enough to. I want my own apartment. I want to buy a house. I want a nest so bad. I want a car. I'm sick of riding my bike everywhere. But I, you know. I really dug deep and I am making it happen. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've never had this drive before. I think that's what recovery has, uh, you know, unraveled for me. I knew that I, so I was in England and I hated my job. I hated any job where I was told what to do. And I was doing a job where I felt there were inefficiencies, that I couldn't be creative. I am a real, like, big picture thinker. And I am very solution-oriented. And I just it just felt so inhibited. So moving here and then thinking, okay, well, let's see how many writing opportunities I could get. It just evolved into, into this. You know, I, I knew that I had the capacity to write eight articles a week. That's the business model that I built. Um, I went to an entrepreneur class when I first got to Portland um, because two things weren't enough, you know, <laughs> moving constantly. Uh, <laughs> living with someone that wasn't the best person to live with and then and then you know like I mean let's not I, I need to write an article about this I keep saying this like <laughs> what a oh my god like what a huge achievement moving continent and not relapsing is yeah on my yeah. with nowhere to live no job and I don't know anyone I yeah mean, you just dove right you just you just <laughs> just free balled well, you, you, you were living in Manchester, is that right? Yes. Okay. I was. And, and I, how, long, how long did it take you to, to formulate your plan to move to Portland? Like, when do you months. think that started? Six months? Okay. Yeah. I, I, I'd known since I got in recovery that I wanted to move back to America. You know, I, I was born in New York originally. I'm a dual citizen. So it's something I've always wanted to do. I have a twin who lives in San Francisco and... You know, he's been saying to me for years, come back, come back. But I just wasn't ready. I didn't feel strong enough in my recovery. And then an opportunity arose where I was able to more quickly pay off my debt because I didn't want to bring my debt to America. So I paid off that $30,000 worth of debt. And then suddenly I could make it happen. And I I just thought, right, let's just make it happen. Let's, I was like, this is calling out for a spreadsheet. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I I made it happen. And, you know, in the middle of that, my brother died. And I was like, I had to go to Australia and back in five days. I was working full time, plus planning this move, plus dealing with grief, plus managing my blog and any writing opportunities. And I was just, I feel like the last year has just been really full on. And then, you know, and then I moved here and I was like, oh fuck what have I done um, yeah you know, my my brother and his wife both said to me you're going to continue to say that for the first year and it's going to be really hard but you will make friends and you will do this and it'll be the most life-changing strengthening thing you've ever done in your life and mm. they couldn't have been more right um you know and I just had to 
because it was so I wrote about this and on Dan's Transformation is Real I did a three part uh, a trilogy for him about the move and I think the biggest thing was that on the one hand, it was so freeing. It was like, oh my god, I can write for myself. I, I, I don't have to do the things that were draining me anymore. I'm free. I've got this new adventure. But then on the other hand, I had not. I felt like I had nothing to hold on to. And right. I, I still feel today like I'm free falling, mm-hmm. and and that's exhilarating and frightening at the same time. So I. You know, I went to an entrepreneur class. I looked at ways that I could monetize my site. I looked at what skills I had and where I could profit the most. And writing seemed to be the best option uh, until I had the energy to roll out workshops and coaching. And I just did it. But to answer your question, like it, it it's less about... You know, in an ideal world, I'd love to say that I have a week and I can write whenever I like and whenever I feel like it and it just comes. But it doesn't. The reality is it doesn't. It did when I was blogging because there was no pressure to do it. Right. But as you can appreciate, the creative process needs certain conditions to be met for it to be a success. (laughs) I've had to fudge those. So, you know, living in a house that has some drama or having a lot of noise around me or relationship difficulties you know arguments with people that I love or whatever feeling tired feeling unwell sadly don't matter Uh, you know I've got a deadline I've got to meet it right so it's difficult and I get my connection the best way that I can and I think what was challenging was at the same time feeling that you know when I moved here and I I just felt like my experience of 12 steps was very different here and it didn't feel right because I felt like the whole purpose of me moving was to free myself of the things that weren't working for me Hmm. and 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 that became an area where I had to do that too so it it probably wasn't the best time to do it or it probably was the best time to do it I don't know but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I just found community in other ways. You know, I had made some friends in fellowship that I still have today. I lost some friends and I found a new community in refuge recovery and, you know, I've slowly just found community in that respect. But, you know, I write in coffee shops a lot because I feel that there's some level of connection there. Mm-hmm. But there are days that are really tough. You know, yesterday was a really hard day. You know, I when friends flake on me and I feel, you know, my most lonely. Mm. You know, I feel sick. I feel lonely. People have flaked on me. And I'm like, I am so totally on my own here. Mm-hmm. And because you didn't know anyone in Portland or did you no. just have online I, relationships? Well, I had been connected with two people online Mm -hmm. and only one of those turned out to be a friend um but most of my friendships that I've made here have been either through fellowship or um you know randomly yeah yeah it's Mm -hmm. it's it's like um it also sounds like you're really self-aware live you know and I think that's the gift of recovery too right when we yeah can know ourselves really well and what we need or what we crave or what we what we need um or how we need the support 
Totally. You know, and texting. And also, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go on. No, I was just going to say that that it it what has served me well is that I'm okay with my own company and that mm. I am. Yes. I'm an outgoing introvert, so I need time on my own. I think if I was an extrovert and had done this, it could have been a little bit more challenging. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, when I'm steeped in work, I can go for a long. I can go for weeks without yeah. seeing anyone but my family. To the point where I know it has to be detrimental. If not. Yeah. It, it it affects my I think it even affects my creativity to a certain point I mean at some point you lose inspiration when yeah. you shut yourself off so I have to really make an intentional make it intentional to schedule in um yeah you know time with do. other people yeah I have to and I have to you know, make time to go to yoga. I have to make time to go on my bike because that's where I get my thoughts. And I think as well, you know, when you're Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this, doesn't she? When you're like, when you're in the creative mindset and the idea comes, you have to act on it. Right. You have to grab it. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like when you're in the space, the ideas keep coming, but I'm conscious that I am pushing the boundaries of that creativity. And I'm a little, maybe a little fearful, but aware that there may come a time where I might not have any ideas. And, you know, the, the nature of my of the writing business, particularly in online recovery community, is that supply is greater than demand. And there are people that will write for free. So it's very difficult to get any kind of commitment from mm-hmm. publications. So my income, it varies from week to week. I don't know from one week to the next where my money's coming from and that's a frightening place to be but it's also very freeing um it is I I have I now have less of a reliance upon money than I did have before and and going through that process has made more money come ironically right yeah but I think that has necessitated the need to look at other areas where I can grow a business and so that I'm not solely relying upon a publication saying yes we'd like you to write for me or no don't write for us again which has happened um right because, because you cert- an editor or whatever oh right and you certainly don't want to get tired of talking about recovery <laughs> you don't want to burn out no. on that before <laughs> no I don't yeah yeah. I don't. Um, you know, I I think at the moment my it's still very much my passion, so it doesn't feel like work. You know, I feel so passionately that I, you know, I speak to the old Olivia. That's my that's my main mm-hmm. mo. You know, I want that information to be out there for someone that was struggling like me. So I still have that that motivation, and as long as that's there, I'll continue to write. But yeah, I want to have a model, a business model that is, um, you know, relies upon other sources of getting that message out there and, and other ways to connect with people because writing can be isolating. So, yeah, that's my my plan. Well, speaking of, why don't you tell us about your, your coaching program that you're starting? Has it started yet? Yeah, I've literally just launched it the last, I think, last week or the week before. Um I I actually qualified as as a coach a year ago. I 
was so inspired by my coach that I took the same coaching program that she did with precision nutrition. Um, and, but just found that the process of moving and everything that I've been through was too challenging to launch that at the same time. So I have only just been in a position to get those pages live on my website, design a program, all of that sort of thing. Um, and get it live um but essentially it's it's a similar program that I went through and it's entirely um tailored to how the person needs it you know at the moment the program is like a standard you know I can give you an in-depth review of, of of what your situation is and then give you goals that you can create yourself and work towards and just help hold that hand through the process but I, you know, I benefited from a year of coaching. Um, there are just so many different ways to do it. I'd like to roll out group coaching because I think a lot of people are doing that nowadays as well. But initially, I think a one-on-one basis is the best way. Well, that was the best way for me. Um, so, yeah, that's that's gone live. I'm also going to be running workshops in Portland. Um, there's an Alano club here. Uh, they're doing some amazing things uh they've got this recovery toolkit series where they they look at a holistic program of recovery and offer yoga workshops mindfulness training all for free that's very cool and that's at the alano club yeah so brent canode the the director of the club has has sort of gone against the grain and said let's have a look at the model of recovery here and and I've had some really interesting discussions with him. I um, I actually interviewed him on my site, and I hadn't realised that that actually, you know, the twelve step modality of recovery is only utilised by twenty five percent of the population in America. I had no idea. So, you know, he was saying, let's have a look at what other models, you know, and what other support structures we can put in place so that people have the tools to make more empowered choices. Um, and one of the things that we're going to do is a is a workshop. So I am going to teach people how to live well in recovery. So I'm going to teach them how to make the balls that I recently <gasps> rested. Yeah. Okay, um, I'm excited by those. Yeah, let's. I want to. So when you're talking about this, I wanted you to talk about your new um, recipes that you're rolling out every weekend and when people are grocery shopping. So I think that's where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I that that was one of the things that I want to talk to people about in the workshop is that you know my like my number one tool for setting yourself up for success with food is is to have a weekly plan. And yes. I'm going to be putting this on my website as a download, a free downloadable tool for people. Is is to have this this plan, but actually to look at it in a slightly different perspective. So to put your commitments in the plan first for the week. So there's no point saying I'm going to cook a three course meal or I'm going to cook, you know, a meal from scratch five nights a week when you're going to two meetings in the evening or you've got to take your kids to after school things mm-hmm. is to plan meals that are going to fit around your commitments. And then you're setting yourself up for success. Um, I think you're going to be genius at this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yes. I'm going to be your biggest fan too, because I love <laughs> me a list and um, I've been doing that a little bit, and I think that's when I saw that you what you were doing, and it was like right at the same time, back to school, and yeah. um, 
I love that. And so you sent me a recipe a little earlier um, this weekend before you had put it up on your site, I, I think. And I was traveling and I was like, oh, shoot. But today I'm going out to get matcha because I don't know what matcha is. Is it's that just green a tea? tea? Green tea. Okay. And I can get yeah. it anywhere? Um, yeah. I mean, I think they even sell it in Trader Joe's. Okay. All the tea and coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I, yeah, I've seen it now that you say that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's like a bright it's green. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I keep mm-hmm. it's full of antioxidants. It's really good for you, and it's it's slightly energizing. It, yeah, it's great. I I made those for the first time, and T- tell everybody what they are because we're talking around and what okay. what are they called? Yeah, we are. So I I make these energy balls, um, and the, these particular version are matcha, peach, and coconut. Mm-hmm. And Yummy. so the idea is that. You know, we we have cravings for sweet things in recovery. We all, well, anybody has cravings for sweet things. And my whole philosophy is if you want something sweet, have something sweet, but try and make it a little healthier. So these balls are amazing. And they're just, you, you can find them in a lot of health food shops, but they're, the predominant base is dates. So the, the these ones are dates. I think they've got a cashew in, um, or cashew, as you say here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, coconut. And coconut oil, and those are the only ingredients. And you just whiz them up in a food processor and roll them into balls, and then you put them in the fridge, and they become a little bit more set. And yeah. then you, you know, you just grab two when you want a snack, and you know they don't have the sort of crash of sugar afterwards. So, well, I made yeah. some. I made some, a different version of uh, peanut butter oatmeal. Um, yeah, balls last it. week and my 14 year old son was like because I put like washi tape on the container in the in the refrigerators to say like what was inside of it so I was like yeah peanut butter oatmeal balls and he's like can you just write spheres on those mom <laughs> like you're so 14 Grady you're so 14 <laughs> so I might be writing spheres on your recipe uh, I'll take a picture yeah. I'll Instagram it when yeah. it's in my refrigerator <laughs> yeah. Do it. my family would have uh, so we would go with the ball jokes for <laughs> days. Yeah. That would last I've for had days. Those. I made yeah. this friend here, and he said, he texted me, and he was like, Olivia, he's a gay man, and he's like, Olivia, I've never said this to him before, but your balls are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we just went down a middle school humor here. I like it. Yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> totally. I, I, the whole thing with the, the recipes was that I realized that you know, I've I've had such grand plans for my site for so long, but I've been conscious of the energy it's required to sort of adjust to this move over here. But the main thing is I realised that, you know, if I want to be a resource, I've got to give people the tools. So I, you know, it's all very well I'm posting pictures of what I'm eating and people are engaging with that, but I need to be able to give people the tools to make them. So I want to be producing a weekly recipe in time for people to do their weekly shop. I want to give people information on healthy habits to have around food and how they can live well in recovery and things that they wouldn't think about, you know. So mm-hmm. so that I think this last week I, I have written about sleep, um, you know, when because I think we, people can be so narrow-minded when it comes to diet and exercise. I mean, even the words are dull, aren't they? You know, but if you think, right. okay, I need to make sure I get eight hours sleep so that I feel good. Because I know that if I don't get eight hours sleep, I crave carbohydrates and it becomes mm-hmm. quite an overwhelming craving uh, mm-hmm. because my body's telling me I'm tired. And mm-hmm. before I'd have acted on those, I still do on occasion, 
you know, it's a process. Um, but yeah, I, I think just looking at healthier ways to do things and giving people the tools to do that. Are you releasing well, those on a Friday or, or Saturday? Uh, or? So they, they come out to so the, the healthy habits are mm-hmm. on a Monday. On a Monday, and, okay. Yeah, and they go to Instagram and to Facebook and Twitter. Okay. And the, um, the recipe goes out on a Saturday morning or a Friday afternoon, depending on what's more uh, popular. I've, start, I've started to sort of make my processes more efficient, so I'm scheduling things in buffer yeah. when, you know, when people are actually going to be using those social media channels. So it has a greater uh, impact. Well, I, I menu plan every, so it starts on Saturday. So it's helpful yeah. to have that because that's when I'm starting to pull all the recipes together and I'm trying to make a menu for the week. And then Sunday, I'm trying to do all the shopping. So yeah, to have that a little uh-huh. ahead of time, not too far ahead of time. Cause you would forget, you know, so I think that's exactly. perfect. I think that's perfect. And it is yeah. something different that I wouldn't normally, I wouldn't make anything with matcha or, or I did buy the, some of the ingredients for your, is it the cherry coconut, um, smoothie really? with almonds? Oh. So I'm missing, I'm missing almonds. So I need to go get that. But I bought all the frozen cherries and I, I bought the coconut and I can't wait to make that. Yeah, it was really delicious. I, I'd spoken to someone here about the fact that they don't use banana in smoothies and because they're allergic to it. And I thought, but I don't use banana in smoothies either. And I didn't realize that that wasn't, that was a thing. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah. So I just thought, oh, well, I can tell people how to have smoothies without bananas. No problem. Yeah. No, it looked um, it looked delicious. I, I'm deciding on a recipe this week. So if you think of one you'd like me to make, mm. just I, I love people telling me what they want to help with. Well, I love how all of this is organically flowed. I mean, I think it couldn't be more beautiful. You, you started you know, living it and then you started documenting it and slowly you've just been, you know, curating all this content, uh, about well living, living yeah. well. And, yeah. you know, what a better way to set yourself up as a person that can now coach this. You yeah, exactly. Can tap right into your own content. I think it, I don't know if it could have worked out better than if you had planned oh. it. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I remember, you know, sitting in my old job and, you know, just, you know, when I would eat away the emotion of, you know, feeling like I was trapped and thinking, I am so jealous of people that have successful careers. How do they do it? You know, because I, I couldn't think of anything worse than going into a nine to five job and being told what to do all day in a, in a job that doesn't motivate me. So, and then just my passion just occurred, you know, and it was the, it, being 150 pounds overweight and an alcoholic was actually my biggest gift. Mm. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I love your story, though. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I, oh, I had something. I lost it. Sorry. That was so pretty. It just stopped me. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask something else. Anyhow, just the, Yeah. All what you just said, Sandra. Yeah. <laughs> All what you just said. Um, the your website. I we I wanted to just really quickly because we're we're kind of wrap this up pretty soon. But yeah. Sandra's right. How it kind of organically has has happened. But it has so much information. 
It has so many great interviews. It has so many recipes. I mean, you have so much on there. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you give the address for people just so that they know where to go? Yeah, it's just livesrecoverykitchen.com. Livesrecoverykitchen.com. And then is that where, I'm assuming that's where um, someone can request to have a conversation with you about hiring you as a wellness coach? Yeah, the, the coaching page is alive on there now. And I think there's a banner that you can click on on the front page. Um, well, there is, yeah. And then you there is also a feed of the most recent content. So the, there is typically a, an interview every week. Um, although sometimes they're not returned. So that's really frustrating. Um, and then I have a recipe I try to put out every week. And um, I do publish a blog on there but typically these are blogs that I am now I'm trying to find a way of of incorporating everything that I've written that's out there into one resource on my blog so I will be putting links to everything that I've written I just need to find a better workflow for that Um, yeah so that people can read your work yeah and find it yeah so that that there are 50 of my articles on there you just go to Liv's Diaries and Mm -hmm. it will show you all of my published articles um and everything that I've written on my journey um yeah so everything everything is on there I, I know the what interviews, I, I love the you know I really love doing the interviews and I, you know and it, it generates a lot of interest the difficulty is is when you look at, at it as a business as opposed to a blog you have to start rationalizing what people want you know so you've got to involve a kind of business head to that and see where the traffic's coming from and the challenge for me is that you know there are some people that are not in recovery they just come for my recipes there are some people that mm-hmm. are not in recovery just come for the interviews because they want to see stories of transformation yeah. and then there are some people that are in recovery and love what I write about so they come just for that so I I feel like I'm kind of um for want of a better phrase, pissing in the wind sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I love it when people, I guess what I'm saying, I, I love it when people tell me that they, they like my content. I, mm-hmm. I had a, a coffee with the owner from, I go to this gym in Portland called Bold and Badass. She is just... <laughs> I like that. Awesome. Like body positive gym. She's amazing. And I, she said to me that, she published she has this award that she gives out once a week called the golden bicep and there was a picture of me with a golden bicep for I think the first time that I had done something with my arm since I broke it that was that was you know weight and uh putting a lot of weight through it and and she said one of her friends saw the picture and said oh no is that is that Liz Recovery Kitchen oh I love it that's her there's something to be said for just doing what you love. You love all three of, of those aspects of your website. Um, I do, so, but I'm also working seven days a week. True. I get, yeah. So yeah. There's finding a balance. I mm-hmm. think once the coaching comes into fruition and I can find the right balance of writing and coaching and workshops then there'll be a little bit more time but also you know there's the there's the energy it takes to adjust and I think that's a full-time job has been a full-time job in itself Mm -hmm. if that makes sense sure you know because there's adjusting to language here there's adjusting to you know when I speak to people here they 
they kind of sometimes look at me like a dog, you know, they put their heads <laughs> on the side. Tilt, like, tilt. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, what the fuck is she saying? And then, <laughs> you know, and then, and I, you know, you know what I first did when I moved here? I, I created an alter ego and um, started saying things in a really bad American accent. And so when people, you know, started making British impressions, I'd, you know, I'd say things like banana. This <laughs> <laughs> is really frightening. Trying to impersonate a British person now. <laughs> you had to. You had to amuse yourself during the transition, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh. She's called Charlene. Charlene, okay. This is good. I'm going to address you as that sometimes. <laughs> oh my God, I love your accent. People are like, where are you from? <laughs> I don't know. I wish I knew. Are you Australian? <laughs> you probably have a running list of things, right? I'm sure. You could have a spreadsheet for that, Liv. It's, but that's calling out for a spreadsheet. <laughs> Americans. We're just easily stupefied. <laughs> yes, we are. Oh, um, I remembered what I forgot earlier. I know we're at the tail end here, but I'm just, just because it resonates with me, which I think also why I'm really attracted to your work, um, is that... There's just some beauty for me in a self-imposed assignment, which it sounds like that's kind of what you're doing as well. You know, when I do that weekly Ray of Light yeah. series, that was very much in, um, inspired by you, Liv. I want you to know when I did that interview on oh, your site, you know, you. and I was trying to, it was, I was trying to do it to help my art and I have such a, f yeah. uh, a hard time posting things on my blog and writing. I get such anxiety. I'll have to write for yeah. a month sometimes before I can post something. I figured the interviews would force me because the people are writing them and helping, you know, they're, I'm writing a couple questions, but you're writing the content, you know, the interviewee. Yeah. So that helped me to post it. But having that yeah. self-imposed assignment, now I'm looking like I'm scheduling Octobers right now and going, I have, I'm going to have 44 interviews this week, this year. Yeah. And I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't given myself the self-imposed assignment. I do that with yeah. art as well. So it, it gives, it gives you the nudge or it gives me the personal nudge to kind of get out of my comfort zone because it's forcing Absolutely. me in a way that's like, it's myself giving me the assignment. If somebody else gives me that assignment, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. But then I'm like, well, I kind of need to pay my rent. So right. maybe I do need to take that one this week. Um, right. But you know, I, 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 I don't mean that. I, I love, I do love writing and I do love the process and I love that I get to write about things that mean a lot to me. Uh, it's just, I think that the stress for me is the quantity and the deadlines and also, you know, the, the fact that the adjustment and stress of life, mm -hmm. um, you know, running a business for the first time, you know, is, is stressful and I, I work really hard and I get sick. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes I, it can take me an hour to write and edit an article, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But other times it can take me five hours. And if I have two that day, right. it's really challenging. That's where my stress is. Mm -hmm. I've heard that if you can get through the first year, you know, everything, every day, or every other hour even in the first year of starting a business can make you want to quit. But if you just yeah. get 
through the first year, um, yeah, you have a good chance. Yeah, and the first year of being here, you know, it's, it's right, like two, exactly. two at the same time. Exactly. Um, you know, someone said to me that most blogs, it was like 50% of blogs only last a year. And then the, the amount of blogs that, or websites that have been around for three years, is like they die off at a rate of 90%. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, and mine's, I think mine's three years old, so I must be doing something right. You are. Yeah. <laughs> well, just this yeah. conversation today, just seeing how everything has built on top of everything else. And Liv, I have no doubt that you're not going to achieve whatever you set your mind to because you, that's just what you do. Right, I so, seem to be doing that. Yeah, you do. You it. are. <laughs> you're doing it. I am. I want to give am. you a bicep trophy right now for your life. No, like, to... <laughs> I, yeah. Please yes, I it. recommend you. You know, standing in a high place every once in a while and just taking a quick look back and where you, how far you've come, and just yeah. since you've yeah. moved to that's Portland. Another, that's another blog that I want to write. There's one, I I really want to write one where we reflect on what we achieve as opposed to inventorying bad behavior. I I agree because if it it just takes a minute to reflect on how far I, I try to do it every time I find myself throwing my, getting ready to throw myself a pity party. Wait, just wait a second, Sandra, just take a look at how far you've gone in three years. Take a look at that. Yeah. Yeah. It's Get over amazing. it. We, yeah. we are amazing. Yeah. High five. We are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we are towards the end of our interview here, Liv. Thank you so much. Um, but we are not done with you yet because okay. we like to share. Um, it's kind of like what you were talking about, the, the recovery toolkit series that they're doing. Oh, yeah. But, like, this could be um, – the unruffled toolbox is what we're calling it. And just the three things maybe this week or recently or something that, that you find is super useful in your life that could be, um, you know, related to creativity or, um, related to your sobriety and recovery. Like what, any three little nuggets that maybe our listeners might be able to pull from and use in their lives too. Um, yeah, I, I gave this one some thought and I was like, you know, I talk about toolkits all the time and the things that we can do um, to connect with ourselves. But I think like my my three top ones that allow me to connect and to be creative are every week I like to cook something. So in my menu planner, I will cook something that's new. So I will look at a recipe. So my favorite website at the moment is called Kale and Caramel. Ooh. And she... Oh my God, she's coming to Portland tomorrow um, and I'm going to go and meet her. Although I'm slightly concerned that on the, on the email it said it's a wine fueled love fest. Um, <laughs> oh well. And I'm like, do I, uh, do I go? Uh, anyway, yeah. so she's amazing. A um, wine fueled love fest. Yeah. Been, um, been there. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So I, I will, every so often, I will, I will discover on Instagram a person whose food I'm really like makes my brain go ping. And I will follow them for a while and I will look at different recipes. So every week I will try a new recipe that I'm really excited about. Um, I like that. But I'm not very good at being told what to do, so I will understand <laughs> anyway. But they're really good for inspiration. Or you'll, yeah, you'll have to tweak it your way, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, um, I like that. Which is why I am terrible at baking. Ah, um, oh, because it has to be exact. I'm not 
precise. No, yeah. I've, I've definitely got Italian genes. So, <laughs> well, what does your last name mean again? Can you share with the uh, listeners? Little pasta. Penelli <laughs> means little pasta. I like that. <laughs> um, oh what's my I love it so much. <laughs> And then I think, you know, I think writing and journaling, there is so much to be said for writing and journaling. I, I was really inspired in my early recovery. And I think I, in one of my blogs, I referred to you, Tammy, because I had seen on Laura and Holly's blog, um, uh, some drawings that they had done with setting word intentions for the year. And it just got me to create this sort of vision board and words my, of my own mm-hmm. and, um sort of the permission to be creative around journaling and to make it fun and to use color and you know I have this practice now every morning where I will so this is my third tool I will meditate with a candle and with some incense I just find that makes it a warmer experience and then I will journal in front of my vision board um and my vision board now actually has it has a card from you on it with um, uh-huh. with a heart that you drawn on there when you thanked me for your interview. So mm-hmm. I have that on there, and I have other things on there. Um, that's really helpful to look at when oh. I'm writing. Yeah, that's so sweet. I'd like to know I'm there with you. Yeah, you are. Well, we you were part of our. Um one of our recovery gals art exchange i think was it the first one last yeah. year yeah it was it was it was the first one i i think i partnered with laura and uh, i laura actually McCann, brought yeah. yeah i brought her um poem with me to portland so it's on my my desk and it says i look back to kiss the temples of the hearts i could not love especially most tenderly my own Aww. i love that poem yeah. I just I love it's our community how this has just bloomed you know and how we all are kind of connected this way and um and even to remember like how do we how do we meet (laughs) that's right you know and kind of where it all has stemmed from it's really it's really beautiful it's really it is and I think what you're doing with creativity is amazing you know that alcohol and addiction just stifled these women and the men that have such talent yeah um it's incredible really I you know I've not participated in that exchange for a while I'd love to in the future but I love watching what people are doing it's yeah it, it blows me away right it does right yeah they're they're yeah. like coming they're they're becoming their own person again it's like we're, they're shedding all yeah. of that the stories and, and, and the addiction and that they can kind of really be maybe who they always wanted to be, I think is very, for me, this is, I am the little girl that I, you know, she went away for a really long time, but now I get to draw and I get to, you know, and not have all that negative self-talk. I mean, the inner critic is still there for sure. And Um, you're always trying to keep her at bay, but it's different. It's different. I'm not in a self-loathing place. I'm not in a, I'm just doing it because it makes me really happy. And if anything else comes from that, that's great. But yeah. my, uh, my intention is just that it, it releases something in me that just makes me feel really, really good. Yeah, it's awesome. I, you know what, I'm still learning that process now. I went to a mosaic workshop a couple of weekends ago oh, and right. I, yeah, and it was, it was brilliant, but I started off with that whole self doubt. Like I can't, I'm not an artist. I can't, I can't do this. 
And then by the end, I had let go of all uniformity of having to have all my mosaics in a row. And just, <laughs> it was freeing. It was awesome. I made a domino mirror. I'll send you a picture of it. Oh, oh cool. I want to see that. Mosaic is yeah. a good lesson in, in not letting yourself go to perfectionism. Yes, totally. Well, we just did this whole interview, and I was going to ask you about kombucha, and then now I forgot. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait. Let's go. Let's do number three. Let's do number three. Uh, well, I've done box. three. I've done three. So the meditating. Oh, you did three. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Meditating. meditating. So, Got it. So cooking new recipe, writing and journaling with a with a vision board, and, and writing meditating yeah. with candles. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Um. Okay. So maybe we can't. Kombucha. Yeah. Right. Time. <laughs> I, I've got time I just don't know how long you want your well just really quickly because I had some this weekend and I really really loved it and I know in my mind I had um, stayed away because again the kind of all or nothing that we touched on earlier yeah. um, because of having some an alcohol component to it and mm-hmm. didn't know enough about it so I just said I just am going to be nothing but yeah um, I'm getting more interested now. I'm two and a half years sober and I'm interested in something more than sparkling water. I know Sandra has yeah. a really great concoction that she makes with apple cider vinegar and sparkling water and lime, yeah. right? Um, which yeah, is not kombucha, yeah. but I mean, it's something it's else. Not it's not alcoholic. But it, it, uh, it, it, it kind of has the same, uh, I don't, it tastes this, sort of the same to me. So the same kind of flavor palette because it's just fermentation, right? Right. Uh, will you send me the recipe to that? I'd like, I'd like all to... I do, seriously, all uh-huh. I do is put a couple of tablespoons of apple cider vinegar in any sparkling water. I prefer lemon, and then I mm-hmm. squeeze a little more lemon in there. And that's like that's my good. lazy kombucha without having to <laughs> buy some at the store or make my own. Because I've tried to make kombucha before, and I failed miserably. I think I didn't give it enough attention or I don't, yeah. I don't know, but it didn't. I'm, I'm a little yeah. worried about making my own, that I might end up making wine or something. <laughs> right, that's possible. exactly, I thought I had let it go for too long, and then I thought maybe I had over-fermented it, and I just threw it out. Yeah. And so, same here, same here. But, yeah. uh, you know, in Austin, and I'm sure it's the same in Portland, there's about 25 different kombucha brands at the beverage store because people there's like a lot of local makers and small batch or whatever it's it's huge here and I you know like Tammy I you know I hadn't had any until I got to Portland so Mm -hmm. I was you know coming up to five years sober and I I had that sort of all or nothing no I'm not trying it there's a trace amount of alcohol in it and then and then being around other sober people who did drink it, I was like, well, they're doing it, so why can't I? And, you know, and just trying it and being sensible around it. And, you know, because there is that that message that if we have any alcohol in our body, it's going to set off a craving for more. So just trying it, seeing what happens. Nothing happened. Mm-hmm. I started to feel better in my in my gut health. It started to improve the acne that I was suffering with. Mm. And it wasn't water. So, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I, you know, I have maybe one a day. Okay. Oh, but wow. Yeah. I don't, I don't drink, I, I don't drink that much of it, but it is, um, 
but I like it and it's yeah. never, it's never triggered me either. It, it no. doesn't trigger me at all, but you know, that's just another one of those things that you have to come to your own place. For sure. I certainly wouldn't exactly. tell anybody that they can't drink kombucha, just like I wouldn't tell anyone that they can't drink a non-alcoholic beer or whatever, but. Exactly. Uh, You've got to find what works for you. As long as you're not harming yourself or other people, I have no issue. Yeah. Right, right. Same. I just finally yeah. felt like I think I was just tired of water and I and yeah. sparkling water. I mean, it's great and all, but I mean, it just, I felt, I'm not a huge mocktails person. Um, but no, this I'm week, not. but this weekend when I was in Boulder, you know, all we did was eat, live. All we did was eat. Yeah. That's what was our whole adventures were eating and, and just, it was fantastic but because they had I was in this foodie place you know this kind of um beautiful area for food um I I tried a couple of shrubs I tried a mocktail of of a like a mojito that didn't have any a no hito is what they called it and normally I would not do that but my hostess doesn't drink either and um for I don't know why she doesn't drink but she didn't drink either and so it was kind of fun to do it with her and it just felt like we were um, kind of touring special. the city and just kind of yeah. trying all this beautiful food and it just felt really fun. Um, but then I went and did some research at the airport last night and just was looking at what was in it and there's no added sugar, there's no added alcohol, but they did say there was trace amounts um, because of the fermentation. Um, but yeah, I just kind of like... one percent or something. Like yeah, that. yeah. So anyhow... I think you have to read the label. With anything, right. just be... Uh, informed you know educate yourself yeah I just hadn't been I hadn't been at all so I just didn't even know like I didn't know anything about it other than you know I I mean I think for me it's the behavior right so yeah the behavior around how I'm doing something um there's a person in one of my meetings that has talked about how how they go to the liquor store the same way to get kombucha the way they used to buy wine and it's yeah. habitual and it's every day and it's at the same time. But you know what? They're trying not to drink um, liquor and wine. So that she, and, their person is trying to change their habits, you know, but the habit right now is the same because they're on a journey and yeah. and eventually maybe that will help. So I wasn't looking and, and that, the fact that that person shared that was like, that was part of the journey too, to say, Hey, here's what I'm doing because I'm having a really hard time with drinking. Yeah. So not that kombucha yeah. is this, uh, replacement for alcohol, but just that it's the behavior. I think of anything that we drink, not just kombucha. I'm talking about if we're, if we're kind of habitually stopping by a certain store and doing the thing that we used to do when we were drinking, we might want to take a look at that. Right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think it doesn't hurt to question any of you know, any habitual behavior for sure. But at the same time, you know, if you're drinking kombucha, but you're not drinking wine, I don't know. I it's yeah. I, yeah <laughs> to each his own. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I like you know if I stop by a store and it's there and I feel like one, I'll have one. Um, you know, I can go like a week and, and not drink one because you know my my um, my friends can bring me them as well. So. You know, it's just because I have friends that are not in recovery mm-hmm. um, and they're like, oh, well, if we're going to have a drink, we'll get liver kombucha. So, yeah. yeah, it's as long as I am not obsessional about it, I'm, yeah. I'm cool with it. Yeah, I agree. You know, and, and my body loves me for it. 
Yeah, I just feel like I'm at this next level of my, um, you know, that's what we're doing in recovery, kind of slowly, kind of next leveling it every, you know, for me, it's at two and a half years, I'm looking, I'm reflecting, I'm thinking what I want to change, I just stopped eating meat, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't mind, I want to, yeah, maybe I will try a few new things out, I don't know what that's going to be, but I feel ready, I feel sturdy. And that I can try something new, whether that's reading somebody's work or listening to a new podcast or trying a a non-alcoholic beverage, all of it's just this next thing that I'm ready for that I haven't been ready for in the past. I have resisted certain teachers and authors and podcasters. And I, I, I like seeing the progression for me that again, it's about being open and I finally feel like I'm ready to be open to some of those new things. So yeah. Sorry to tag that on at the end. I meant to throw that in earlier, but I didn't. Oh, okay. So thank you for chatting about it. No worries. Well, all right. I think we're going to wrap it up, Liv. Cool. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. I'll let Me you know too. when I'm in Portland. A great yeah, conversation. Dude. Yeah, I want to go. Back. Yes. Don't <laughs> Portland. Portland is literally on fire right now. Oh. I don't know if you've seen the news. Yes. Yeah. It's actually, the fire has actually jumped the Columbia River and it's gone up to Washington. Yeah. What is going on? The outside are literally like clouds of smoke and ash is just over everything. My my friend in Montana sent me a a little live video of downtown Missoula and it just looked like a snowstorm from the ash um, of all the fires that are there. I think there was like 890 thousand acres that have been burned and just these fires and floods and everything lately that we've been dealing with is just horrible it is i i believe this fire grew four thousand acres last night oh that's scary it is scary well you stay safe up there um i i do have a friend in portland that i plan on visiting um probably by the end of the year so i will let you know and i would love to know about a workshop up there so maybe i could plan it around that yeah, I think it's going to be in October though. Hmm. Okay, maybe yeah. not October, but maybe. Well, the one we might after do. That. We might, depending on its success, we might do another one in December. It will be successful, and there will be many more. Yes, I like that. Many, <laughs> there will be many more for Please, us to choose from. Please, come and sit on my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the Liv Pinelli fan club in the front. Yeah, Can we have front row seats? I'd like a front row seat <laughs> for that. <laughs> Oh, Liv, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Aguirre. Thanks for listening.